Well, good morning, everyone. Nice to see all of you here and to see that the Georgia Plain Baptist Church is thriving under uh, Tyler and Meg. And I'm um, sorry that I can't see those of you who uh, are online, but I uh, greet you and uh, welcome you as well. Our scripture lesson this morning is taken from the, the uh, book of James, chapter 1, and I'll be reading verses 19 through 27. James chapter 1. My dear brothers, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. For man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent, and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like a man who looks at his face in the mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But the man who looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues to do this, not forgetting what he has heard, but doing it, he will be blessed in what he does. If anyone considers himself religious and yet does not keep a tight rein on his tongue, he deceives himself and his religion is worthless. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. May the Lord add his blessing to this reading of his word. When the U.S. Supreme Court announced their decision overturning Roe versus Wade on June 24th, pro-choice advocates announced that this summer would be a summer of rage. A summer of rage. I don't know about you, but I'm seeing and hearing a lot of outrage these days. Outrage by some over the 2020 election results and the ensuing January 6th insurrection. Outrage over gun violence, especially the tragic Uvalde, Texas school shootings. Outrage over the death of George Floyd and the continuing problem of racism just to scratch the surface. And COVID-19 hasn't helped with people's outrage. Forced church closures, mask and vaccine mandates, splitting churches apart and even families within churches, with some people so upset they refuse to talk about the subject. Making matters worse is the attitude that if you don't agree with me, then I won't talk with you. I'm not gonna waste my time talking with those who don't agree with me is the common understanding that some people have. Instead, I'll use my outrage to cancel you or dox you 
I'll discredit you on social media. I'll hate, I'll have people flood your phone with messages. I'll accost you in the restaurant you're dining at. And I'll organize protests outside your family's home, as in the case of the conservative Supreme Court justices. Basically, I'll make your life miserable. Whatever happened to civil discourse? And yes, even some who identify as Christians are guilty of these tactics. Is there a way forward? What's a Christian to do? Let's see what our passage in James has to teach us. I've titled this morning's message, A Christian Approach to Outrage. First, be quick to listen. James 1.19 says, my dear brothers, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen. Notice that James doesn't say some of you or a few of you or this only applies to those who have a problem in this area. No, he says everyone should be quick to listen. That means you and that means me. Dan Fink wrote an essay titled Top 10 Tips for Christian Evangelism from an Atheist. In it, he says, ask more questions and do less preaching. People just like to be heard and they like people who listen to them and they will feel more trust in you the more they open up to you. You have to overcome the temptation to make your attempts to persuade others all about how you feel and what you think. Your focus must be on what the person you're persuading feels and thinks." End of quote. Be quick to listen. Listen actively. Ask questions. Let the other person know you are interested in learning how they feel and why they feel the way they do. What life experiences shape their viewpoint? We could all learn a lot by listening. Second, be slow to speak, says James. Daniel Fink again says, don't give unsolicited advice or judgments. Support people and wait for them to ask you for your input if they want it, unquote. Have you ever been in a meeting and you were so busy trying to formulate a question that you weren't listening to what the speaker was saying? Being slow to speak helps you become a better listener. Let me ask you a question. Does any person, even a brother, a Christian brother or sister, have to share your views of COVID vaccines in order for you to love them and listen to them? No, of course not. Does any person, even a Christian brother or sister, have to share your political views in order for you to love them and listen to them? 
I certainly hope not. We can be politically diverse and still fellowship together and serve and worship the Lord Jesus together. Let me give you an example. Jesus' 12 disciples were politically diverse. There was Matthew, the tax collector. If any of you have been uh, watching The Chosen, they do a wonderful job of depicting Matthew as the tax collector. A tax collector worked for the Roman government and for this reason was despised by many of the Jews. Then there was Simon the Zealot, called the Zealot to distinguish him from the other Simon, Simon Peter. A Zealot was a radical revolutionary seeking to overthrow the Roman government. So here in Jesus' band of disciples were two disciples who were on opposite ends of the political spectrum. One who had worked for the government and one who had been working against the government. Wouldn't you have loved to listen in on some of Matthew and Simon's political discussions? And yet, in spite of their opposing political views, Matthew and Simon were brothers in Christ, followers of Jesus. Scott Sauls, in his book, Jesus Outside the Lines, says that the two of them living together in community, quote, suggests a hierarchy of loyalties, especially for Christians. He says, quote, our loyalty to Jesus and his kingdom must always exceed our loyalty to an earthly agenda, whether political or otherwise. Let me repeat that. Our loyalty to Jesus and his kingdom must always exceed our loyalty to an earthly agenda, whether political or otherwise. People from varying political persuasions can experience unity under a single first allegiance to Jesus the King, says Scott Sauls. Should you question a brother or sister's faith because they didn't vote like you did in the last election? Of course not. James says, be quick to listen, slow to speak. Third, be slow to become angry. For man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires, James 1, 19 and 20. Maybe a more modern paraphrase would say, be slow to become outraged. Most of our anger results in a sinful response to something said or done to us. However, anger itself is simply a feeling, a motivator. It's what we do with our anger that leads to sinful behavior or hurtful words. Paul says in Ephesians 4.26, in your anger, do not sin, which would lead us to conclude that it's possible to be angry without sinning. In your anger, do not sin. Some anger is righteous anger. 
but even righteous anger should be arrived at slowly. Psalm 103 verse 8 says, the Lord is compassionate and gracious and what? Slow to anger. If God is slow to become angry, how much more should we be slow to become angry? Even when expressions of righteous anger may be entirely justified. As James says, man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. I'll give you two examples. Jesus and his disciples were traveling through Samaria headed to Jerusalem. We're told that Jesus sent messengers on ahead into a Samaritan village to get things ready for him, but the people there did not welcome him because they knew he was going to Jerusalem. James and John, sometimes called the sons of thunder due to their confrontational nature, wanted to call down fire to consume the Samaritans but Jesus rebuked them. You can read about this in Luke 9, 51 through 59. Another example is when Judas led the soldiers and the religious leaders to arrest Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. One of the disciples took out his sword and cut off the ear of the high priest's servant. Jesus said, Put your sword back in its place, for all who draw the sword will die by the sword. Do you think I cannot call on my father and he will at once put at my disposal more than 12 legions of angels? Do you realize that's 66,000 angels? 12 legions. But how then would the scriptures be fulfilled that say it must happen in this way. Matthew 26, 50 through 54. So man's anger, even righteous anger, is not always warranted to accomplish God's purposes. So first, be quick to listen. Second, be slow to speak. Third, be slow to become angry, for man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. Fourth, do not merely listen to the word, but do what it says, James 1, 22. James tells us that God's word is like a mirror. It shows us who we are and what we are like. If we remember what God re reveals about us in his word, that we are sinners in need of grace, sinners in need of a savior, that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, that there is no one who is righteous, no, not one, then we will understand what Jesus Christ has done for us by dying for us in payment for our sins, by delivering us from God's judgment, by giving us the desire to love, serve, and obey him, to be doers of his word. 
James says we will be blessed in what we do. So that raises the question, what does James say we are to do? First, verse 26, keep a rein on your tongue. James has a lot to say about the tongue later in chapter three, that it's restless evil and full of poison. With the same tongue that we praise our Lord and Father, we curse men who have been made in God's likeness. My brothers, this should not be. Whether they are enemies or our brothers and sisters in Christ that we have had a falling out with, they are still image bearers of God. And for this reason alone have value in God's eyes and should be valued by us as well. We can say a lot of hurtful things in our anger or in a moment of rage. Therefore, keep a tight rein on your tongue. Second, verse 27, James says, look after orphans and widows in their distress. Those who are helpless, less fortunate, in need of an advocate. And keep yourself from being polluted by the world. There's a lot of talk about pollution these days, things in the environment which are toxic and destructive. In the same way, there are things in the world that are toxic to one's faith, such as the self-centered desire for power and authority, fame and fortune, the quest to dominate others, to be considered better than others. These are some of the world's pollutants we're called to the way of humility. Paul says in Philippians 2, 5 through 8, our attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God did not count equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Jesus's way is the way of humility. Unfortunately, some Christians in dealing with the outrage they are confronted with, in dealing with those they consider their enemies have resorted to a movement that instead of humility seeks to gain political power and authority over others. Scott Sauls in his book, Jesus Outside the Lines, a way forward for those who are tired of taking sides, has some wisdom about such a movement. And I quote, the politics of God's kingdom are different from the world's politics. Kingdom politics reject the world's methods of misusing power and manipulating the truth. Sauls asks, what does it look like for Christians to live out Jesus's kingdom vision in our lives? It looks like taking care of widows and orphans isn't that what James is talking about? It looks like advocating for the poor 
improving economies, paying taxes, honoring those in authority, loving our neighbors, pursuing excellence at work, and blessing those who persecute us. When this happens, kings, presidents, governors, mayors, law enforcement officers, park officials, and other public servants will take notice. Those in authority will begin to see Christians as an asset to society. They will recognize and appreciate that Christians as citizens, first and foremost of God's kingdom, value leaving the world in better shape than we found it. Christianity always flourishes most as a life-giving minority, not as a powerful majority. It is through subversive countercultural acts of love, justice, and service for the common good that Christianity has always gained the most ground. So says Scott Sauls. I'd like to end with an illustration of a Christian who, when faced with outrage and persecution, took the way of humility. <coughs> and followed Jesus's, uh, James' advice about being quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. A Christian who kept a tight rein on his tongue and tried to keep himself from being polluted by the world. I'll let you judge for yourselves if the Lord blessed his obedience and how you might be used by the Lord to do the same thing. <clears throat> this story is a, about a man named Dan Cathy. Does that name ring a bell? Dan Cathy. Dan Cathy is the president of Chick-fil-A, a fast food chain most prevalent in the South. Dan Cathy, a Christian, was asked by a reporter about his beliefs regarding gay marriage. Wanting to be true to his understanding of scripture, he simply said that he believed marriage is designed for a man and a woman. The outrage that followed resulted in a well-organized and highly publicized protest against Dan Cathy. His commitment to the Bible, and a boycott of Chick-fil-A. Maybe you remember this happening about 10 years ago and how supporters of Dan Cathy rallied with what they called Chick-fil-A Appreciation Day, buying millions of chicken sandwiches as a counter protest. Dan Cathy never personally affirmed or joined in the counter protest. And I would venture to say that you probably never heard what I am about to tell you. Dan Cathy quietly and privately reached out to one of his strongest critics, gay activist Shane Windmeyer. The reason we know this is because of an essay Shane Windmeyer wrote for the Huffington Post January 28, 2013 titled, Dan and Me, My Coming Out as a Friend of Dan Cathy and Chick-fil-A. 
The following are excerpts from Shane Windmeyer's essay. And I quote, on August 10th, 2012, in the heat of the controversy, I got a surprise call from Dan Cathy. He had gotten my cell phone number from a mutual business contact. I took the call with great caution. He was going to tear me apart, right? Give me a piece of his mind. Turn his lawyers on me. Not so. The first call lasted over an hour. And the private conversation led to more calls the next week and the week after that. His questions and a series of deeper conversations ultimately led to a number of in-person meetings. He had never before had such dialogue with any member of the LGBT community. It was awkward at times, but always genuine and kind. It is not often that people with deeply held and completely opposing viewpoints actually risk sitting down and listening to one another. Notice Shane Windmeyer's key words there, listening to one another. He continues, we see this failure to listen and learn in our government, in our communities, and in our families. Dan, Kathy, and I would together try to, be, try to do better than each of us had experienced before. Never once did Dan or anyone from Chick-fil-A ask for Campus Pride to stop protesting Chick-fil-A. On the contrary, Dan listened intently to our concerns and he sought first to understand, not to be understood. Dan and I shared respectful, enduring communication and built trust. His demeanor has always been one of kindness and openness. Dan embraced the opportunity to have dialogue and hear my perspectives. He and I were committed to a better understanding of one another. Our mutual hope was to find common ground, if possible, and to build respect, no matter what we learned about each other as people with opposing views, not as opposing people. Throughout the conversations, Dan expressed a sincere interest in my life, wanting to get to know me on a personal level. He wanted to know about where I grew up, my faith, my family, my husband, Tommy. In return, I learned about his wife and kids and gained an appreciation for his devout belief in Jesus Christ and his commitment to being a follower of Christ more than a, quote, Christian. Dan expressed regret and genuine sadness when he heard of people being treated unkindly in the name of Chick-fil-A, but he offered no apologies for his genuine beliefs about marriage. And so the essay continues, but that gives you a taste of what happened. You see, Dan Cathy took the initiative to listen love 
and respect another, which led to genuine friendship and understanding without ever apologizing for what he believed. I thank God for people like Dan Cathy and for their example to us. Who do you need to befriend and be quick to listen to? Let us pray. Our Father, we thank you for Christians who want to build bridges when confronted with outrage and persecution. Help us to privately reach out to the people in our lives who are so vocal in their outrage and help us build life-giving relationships by being quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Help us by your Holy Spirit to hear and understand your word and then to be doers of your word as well. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Before the benediction, I just want to remind you that there is a time of fellowship and some snacks out here in the, in the room uh, beside the sanctuary.